Hey everyone, need something to get you going in the morning or the afternoon? Check out TrenchCoffeeCo.com. Trench Coffee originated in Las Vegas and is owned by a combat controller and his wife. Uh, they've been making coffee as a hobby for a couple of years and then decided they enjoyed it so much and they wanted to share the coffee wealth with everyone else. So check them out. They've got 10 different brews. They originally started with the Trench blend, um, but they recently started a new blend that uh, is kind of my personal favorite, which is the Brazil Cerrado. I'm probably saying that wrong again, like I do in every single promo, um, but whatever. I'm educated in South Carolina, so you can deal with it. Uh, they also sell, you know, apparel. They sell cold brew kits. They've got holiday packages going on where you can get a mug and some coffee. Uh, their normal bag sizes are 12 ounces. They do have some samplers. So if you wanted to get a handful of sampler packs, you can do that. And if you want to go all in, they definitely have five pound bags that'll keep you stocked for quite some time. Um, but if you go through coffee like I do, because it's so good, five pounds probably won't last you too long. But please go check them out. Uh, they are definitely friends of the podcast and have been for quite some time. And uh, so we want to support them and they're supporting us. Uh, so we don't get anything from it, but please go check them out. Enter the promo code ones ready to get you a discount. And then I know that sometimes they also, every time you buy a, a bag of coffee and use our promo code, they will send a bag down range or at least put some money to the side to pay for sending bags down range. So great company, great people. Jeff and Jerrica are amazing. So go support them. Check them out. Trench Coffee Co. That's trenchcoffeeco.com. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ones Ready podcast. You're in the team room with Trent, myself, and we've got Senior Master Sergeant Nasty Stags. Now, that's obviously not his real name, and I'm sure everybody's wanting to know why he's called Nasty. We probably can't talk about that here, but you can imagine... Yeah, <laughs> but he is a, uh, you know, easily a 6'9", real burly man, um, you know, really intimidating and very, very, very versed in uh, tacti. So appreciate you coming on. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into some of the uh, topics that we want to discuss. All right, teachers, uh, I appreciate the invite. Uh, so, yeah, I'm up here at headquarters ACC on the... Uh, ACC MAGCOM level JTAC weapons officer, um, TACP weapons officer. Uh, I control all the uh, TACP graduate moves within ACC PAC Avenue Safety. Um, graduate of class 15 Bravo at the weapons school. Um, and uh, I'm also the acting MAGCOM functional manager right now as we wait for the replacement to the previous chief to come in. Okay, cool. Um yeah, that was a quick down and dirty. Sweet. So you've, <laughs> you've been doing uh, TACP for how long now? Oh, uh, about uh, 13 years. Okay. So I was a retrainee. I did. Um, so I was a an ammo guy for four or five years uh, until I was able to retrain. Um, so uh, really, uh, the reason I joined the military is 9-11. Um, 9-11 sort of sparked my interest that I wanted to do something uh, bigger than what I was doing. I was in college playing basketball um, and 9-11 happened and I decided that I wanted to join. Unfortunately, my original date to push out was in 
02 and uh, I was still playing basketball and I ruptured all the tendons in my ankle, which delayed my enlistment for another year. Um, and then I finally was able to push off and, uh, but I wasn't able to, I kept getting told that, you know, these, these weird career fields would come to basic training and, and t tell you about them, you know, and I kept hearing pararescue and TACP and combat controller. And I kept hearing all these things about these, these career fields. And I thought, man, that, that would be awesome to do, um, get the basic and, uh, they don't show up to my flight, so I never get the real briefing. <laughs> so I uh, go ahead and take the job that I signed up for, and um, I learned a lot in that job. Um, it actually has uh, came in handy being a TACP, uh, learning how to how all these weapons are assembled and things like that. So it, it wasn't all for not because I, I did learn a lot about that and a lot about weapons. Um, but my first assignment as an ammo guy was in Korea. And I ran into some TACPs over there, and I was like, man, this is the job I wanted. Where was these guys at basic? So it's kind of uh, kind of a little, you know, butthurt over that. But uh, I just started training, and uh, then I uh, started not only training, I started doing research because I was like, how can I get retrained as fast as possible? And I found a loophole in the AFI allowing uh, critically manned fields to get exceptions to policies to retrain early. So I got with a, an incredible senior at the time in the ammo career field to support me and uh, get up the exceptional policy and finally get be able to retrain. Now everybody will start looking for loopholes. <laughs> you don't need a loophole anymore. Now it's it's a standing ETP. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for everybody out there, you know, Nasty is in a, a very unique position, I'd say, just because you have a lot of oversight and influence on what TACPs are currently doing, um, which a lot of people are familiar with, but I, I would like to, to touch on that um, somewhat. And then you're also uh, with a team of people, um, like there's there's other entities as well that are working on this, but you're also working on kind of the, the future of TACP probably from now out to five years because we've said it before. And I mean, things change within a year, two years, we are constantly evolving. Um, yeah, we have folks that are working on the kind of, you know, far future, the, the five, 10, 15 year future, but um, you're kind of knee deep in the five year future. So before we touch on the future stuff, um, kind of like what, what is, what are TACPs and what do they do? So I think the, the biggest thing uh, for people to understand TACP is like um, on the, we're aligned to army forces uh, and we're, we're stationed on army posts for the majority uh, of the units right now. And uh, we are, we are the uh, liaison to the army when it comes to the um, tax ags uh, model. So we're, we're providing, we're providing that, um, that advice and assist to that ground commander at whatever echelon we're assigned to. Uh, to be, so he can integrate uh, close air support into the fire maneuvers of the conventional army on the ground. Uh, I, I say conventional because that's where majority of our guys are at. So, um, you know, you think of uh, striker brigades and armor brigades and even light infantry and airborne units. Like those are the guys that we're assigned to and we work with and, um, and trying to not only, you know, help that ground party understand what 
close air support can provide for them, but also synchronize those fires with the Army regaining fires as well. Um, and that starts with mission planning. Uh, that starts with going to JRTCs and NTCs and integrating into that that force model so that we we become them um, and they and we build that um, credibility with them when it comes to our expertise in that area and uh, it makes it easier then to uh, when you are on the battlefield with them um, they have a lot more um, trust in you because they they've seen you in action they they understand you they know you by name and even with the integration um, with that what has it allowed has allowed us over the years is you know you used to back in the day and when i say back in the day i'm talking about guys who did it prior to prior to me doing it but uh you 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 de you deployed with your aligned unit you went to exercises with your aligned unit and things like that so you, the relationships were a lot stronger uh, but what we've seen in the models over the last few years, and, and this will transition into you know what the future looks like, is um, with those with those guys who are attached and lined at those lower levels, and building those uh, building those relationships. It transcends. It's just not X guy who has built this um, relationship up. It is the the TACP name itself that is built building its credibility through that. So I think I've only deployed once with my aligned unit um, over my 13 years. The rest of the time with them with people I didn't know, but I showed up. Uh, they seen the TACP patch or the JTAC patch on my sh shoulder, and they already knew based on the relationships they had prior that this is the guy that we need to go to and talk to about uh, integration of fires and close air support. Um, so that is the TACP. Now we do have the soft side and guys on the soft side that, that run with different elements with the Rangers and, and some of the guys at the STSs uh, that work with the ODA teams and stuff like that. And, and they, they do the same thing. They just do it at a, with a different entity than the conventional side. Um, so that is, uh, that is the TACP in a nutshell. Well, I think you, you talked about something there that I, I don't think I fully understood about TACP really until we started doing this podcast is there's more to it than just the, when I think of JTAC, I think dude looking at plane, dropping bombs, you know what I mean? Like that, the, yeah. the, the months and years of, of coordination and planning and building relationships before that, that bomb ever strikes the target is, is what you guys do. You guys are the liaisons for the entire air force to the army as far as if I'm, if I'm tracking right. And uh, it yeah. takes a lot, a lot of work. It does, and and you're you're absolutely right. It, it, that liaison piece is big because, like I said before, it builds credibility uh, for the organization, not only just as the community of TACP, but also as the Air Force and whole. It builds that credibility for the Army. Um, it also, um, in that, it is um, gets the Army the understanding of what the Air Force can provide. Um, and when I say that, it's it's a uh, being an honest broker to the Army, yeah, the Air Force can provide this, but also, if you look at it, we, we're limited at this. Uh, I think there's a conversation I had one time um, when I deployed as a JTAC weapons officer downrange and uh, was working with some entities across the across the airfield. Um, you know, the conversation comes up, why, why, is the, why is the aircraft not taking off? I was like, well, because of the weather. And they're like, well, it's an all-weather platform. It's like, well, yes, in some instances it is, but 
they got to be able to take off first. If visibility is low, they can't take off, blah, blah, blah. And, and it was building that understanding of the limitations of the aircraft, you know, and they would get upset because some ISR platform couldn't take off from another airfield because of icing. And then it's like, well, won't they just de-ice it? It's like, well, that's fine. They can de-ice it now. But then when it gets up and the ice is over again, it's just going to come out of the sky. Like there's limitations that they don't understand and being that – I'm going to be the person they come to about it. When when things ain't flying, they're going to come to the tack piece. So understanding that and then being able to present it in a way that they can get a better understanding uh, of the limitations is 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 important as the capabilities that they bring to enhance the fight as well. It sounds right. silly. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, I'm sorry, right. Trent, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> go for it, Trent. No, I mean, it's, 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 one, of those, it's one of those things is, is you're, you kind of have to – you have to build that relationship and then you kind of have to babysit them through the process. And then, at, you know, uh, at, a, at a certain point, I'm, I'm sure sometimes you got to be like, well, you guys also have, you also have weapons, right? Cause I think <laughs> sometimes the tendency is to be like anything, anytime anything happens, JTAC do something. And it's mm -hmm. like, what, what are you guys here to do then? Yeah, that's, that's important. It's the, <laughs> so yeah. Um, and that's been, you know, I, I think a little, little problem of the last twenty some years of fighting that we've done is, is it's we we put a presence out on the battlefield, and then when things get a little hairy, we we immediately call casts. Let's let's get some casts on station. Let's drop some bombs, and and um, I think proportionality has fell out of the uh, the uh, toolbox because I don't think we proportionalize the target to the weapon pairing very well either, but. Um, that, that, <laughs> that comes though with, you know, it, it's, it's what we know and it's what we're comfortable with. And, um, I think General Brown says it well, chief staff, of the air force, he says, we got to have these uncomfortable conversations. And I think, I think it's hard right now for us to have those conversations because we haven't had them in the last 20 years, because we just threw everything we could at a very small problem with, and with a big answer. Um, and I think that's really where these uncomfortable conversations that we have um, are really extremely uncomfortable because we haven't had them. No, we definitely have to have uncomfortable conversations for sure. And a lot of people, you know, outside don't really understand that. And I, I hate for that. So a lot of people still in right now don't understand that. It's just unfortunate. And I really, really uh, stung a little bit, not, not stinging my pride, but man, I've had that same conversation with, uh, with some senior leaders. Like, do we really need to sling, you know, three or four <laughs> munitions at this one guy? Like, is he that bad? Or, or it's not that he's <laughs> that bad. It's just like, we can probably kill this guy with a lot cheaper, uh, things, but mm -hmm. that's a whole nother, uh, topic <laughs> yeah. in front of Congress and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> you had a, a fairly unique opportunity, um, while you were deployed as the, as the weapons mm -hmm. officer for the Vipers in Bagram, because that was a right around the time that, uh, the Moab was dropped. Did you have anything to do with that? <laughs> uh, yeah. So <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I uh, I was there when the conversation come up for like uh, I guess uh, sitting looking back at it like the conversation for that uh, particular weapon come up several times um, and then all of a sudden it got put, pen put to paper by somebody um, I'm not for sure who it was but um, I get a call from a very very close friend of mine Jeff Leahy and uh, he's like hey uh, I got this guy you need to talk to I was like well put him on the phone he's like nah nah I need you to come over <laughs> here and talk to him. 
So I go over there to talk to him, and I, I get with this guy. He was the uh, fire uh, fires support officer and um, for the larger entity on that side. And um, he called, uh, as soon as I walk in, he, he is all about telling me about this wonderful weapon that he found and how they want to use it and all these things. And I won't go into extreme detail yeah, about yeah. it, but I just thought, I just, I just thought it was a terrible idea. Like this, this is a big weapon. We're already having problem with proportionality and we want to do this huge weapon over there. Right. So, uh, I talked to him, I look for other, um, other weapons to use for this targets that he had. Like I've, I pulled out a weapons file. I had like three different weapons files because like the, the one that I found was like, 2012 um because you never can find the current year weapons file until it's like five years old yep. so found a 2012 then i found a, a 13 and then i got online and i found another one that was about a year i think i was at that was in 16 so about uh 2015 or 14 i think it was a 14 um 14 15 one and i started looking on there and i, I just and then I got with the weapons officer who was flying with the, the 16 bros out there. And I, I talked to him about them. And, and then here's being ammo. So back when I was ammo, there was a guy that was my supervisor. He was actually the senior in the bomb dump down in, um, I believe it was Al-Udeed. And I just happened to run into him as I was coming in the country. Uh, so I reached out to him about all the components of the weapon and I was like, Hey, do you have these components and do you have this body to make these weapons? And he's like, yeah, well, he's like, let me check. So he did some checking and he found all the components, told me how many they could make of them, all these things and, and what the shipping. And then I got with the, the, uh, chief over in the bomb dump there at Bagram and, and we had to set up that they could have them in country within three to four days. And, and, the uh, the bomb dump there at Bagram come had them prepared for the aircraft within a 24 hour turnaround. And with the weapons officer flying with 16s, they could have the right, um, things on the aircraft to be able to carry those weapons. And then, so I took that information in to present to him like, Hey, here, you know, this target set doesn't really require this, this weapon here is, here's a suitable sub that is much more cost effective to put on this, this target set. Um, uh, he, he didn't like that because it wasn't the Moab, uh, of course, uh, that was, <laughs> that was his baby, which, I get it. You get, you get passionate about something and you want to stick to it. So I was passionate about not using the Moab. So I stayed passionate about that. And, uh, you know, we just went back and forth, back and forth. Well, ended up that target, that specific target set, we didn't use Moab on. We actually used uh, one of the weapon sets that I recommended um, at the time. So we didn't use it on that target set because there was a lot of other issues that we really can't talk about here about, but there was a lot of other issues with it that, drove us to have to go with something different and uh, being able to find them different <clears throat> avenues to attack this target set was was pretty huge so then we go on i thought that was the end of this moab conversation i thought i finally squashed it you know everything is good and then we come to this big planning event for some other thing and and here it is presented again. I'm like, where is this thing coming from? Why does this thing just keep coming back up? Oh my goodness. So, you know, we talk and, and we keep kicking the can down the road. And finally, one day I walk in and uh, the <clears throat> one gentleman that was helping plan is like, Hey, this guy wants to see you. And it's a, uh, he was a, uh, one of the 
top dogs there and I go in and he's like, Nasty, I heard you don't you don't like this Moab idea. And I was like, No, I don't. I, I think I think proportionality has been thrown out of the window. I think uh we just sh- we're just wasting um time just planning this thing when we don't even have these weapons in country and stuff like that. He's like, Well, that's why I want you on the planning committee, because I need a naysayer. So <laughs> Uh, I was I was part with those guys planning it and uh, getting everything set up right and uh, making sure like you know all these little things that even you know, I've seen in the first target set that we're actually paying closer attention to so they don't become problems as well. Um, constantly, you know, letting the guys know that I don't think this is the best weapon to use, but I, if we're going to use it, let's use it right type deal. Uh, and eventually, like. Basically, we got to the point where it was set up to go, and uh, of course, between weather and um, some other things happening in the world, we got sort of stood down, Um, and then eventually, man, everything was set up and good to go, and I bounced from country, and probably 10 days later, we employed the weapon, so... um, I got to do all the planning and, and see all this stuff. And then I go home and I wake up to the news that this weapon was used. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, so I start reaching out to everybody I knew still over there. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're just telling me all the backgrounds <laughs> to it and stuff like that. I'm like, man, like all that work I did, I didn't even get to see it live. <laughs> oh, man, they were just waiting for you to leave. That's all it was. They're like, we got to get <laughs> this was. dude out of here so that we can finally drop this thing. <laughs> <laughs> the uh you know it, i'm glad you brought that up about the whole jtech thing because uh about you know reaching out to people and and figuring out what components and doing the research on the weapons because like, there's a lot of weapons in the inventory the weapons are constantly evolving as well um and like it, it's all we ever see is you know on on the op or in a firefight bombs being dropped target blown up you don't know like we we don't talk about it because it's not as you know interesting all the planning that goes into servicing a target or um weapon selection weaponeering to a target like all that falls into that whole you know joint terminal attack controller attack pe combat control mission set whenever employing precision strike stuff so um, I'm right. glad you brought that up. And that's not to say that every single JTAC is reaching out to ammo saying, hey, do you have this component, this component? That is that is very right. specific to the weapons officer, especially the position that you were holding there. But yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. And I think that's one of the things like, um, so, you know, uh, you know, being one of the instructor cadre for the weapons school, like that's something we never had in our career fields. Uh, up until you know you you guys stood it up and I think that is one of the biggest things that I think dudes and I'm glad uh, that you know new guys don't know the difference from not having a guy like a, a graduate at their squadron because the differences in the dudes you can talk to a10 pilots f16 pilots they'll say dude a squadron that shows up to do cast with a patch is night and day difference between a squadron that doesn't have a patch um because it's they're more ingrained in the scenarios the route the you know making them realistic making them to the current fight and uh making dudes dig and do research on you know the things that they want or the things they want to do so that's huge um i think yeah we as jtacs you're you're taught to allow the the aircraft the weaponeer uh one of the things i found out is 
I, I absolutely allow the air, the pilots to weaponeer their their weapons. Um, but as long as I can I can advise that ground commander in, first about the weapons effects uh, and knowing the weapons and what kind of effects they can provide helps then get me to sell what the pilots are, are briefing they want to employ on that target because at the end of the day I become a I become a used car salesman at that point because I gotta sell what the pilots are recommending to put on the target because that ground commander at the end of the day is gonna buy that weapon and it's whatever he wants uh, up to that point. But if I understand the effects I can already get that prep, the battlefield prep. And then when the pilots give me their recommendation, I can take that recommendation to them and probably get it approved instantly compared to trying to go back and forth, have that back and forth with them. So I have one question as the, the non JTAC in the room and everybody keeps talking about weapon school. <laughs> what, what it like, I feel like we need to do an entire podcast on the weapon school because I like I've deployed with JTACs. I see the effects, right. But like, obviously I'm aware of some of the logistical and all this other stuff from a distance. But um, before we move on to like the, the future of TechP and all this other stuff that we're going to talk about, I, I kind of want to know, and I'll, I'm going to use this to, to transition a little bit. Wh what is, what is the weapon school like mandate? What, what is it for? Um, and, and what, what do you guys come out of there knowing or certified beyond JTACRI to do? Peaches, I know I've known you for a long time and I'm sorry that I've never asked. That's uh, okay. But, but I'm going to leave it to nasty because he'll knock it out of the park way better than I can. So the weapon school first provides instructor instructor. So we're going to take the best instructor at your unit and we're going to turn them into the best instructor within the career field. Um, and then doing so, we create a tactical expert. Now, tactical expert is for that squadron commander to employ um, as his squadron's tactical expert to lead training, lead, um, you know, whether it's uh, exercises, events, things like that. And then at the end of the day, be able to be his spokesman to lead the guys into um, into combat. Um, so they they're really bringing that subject that's being that subject matter expert uh, for the squadron, for all the instructors there. They're going to build up that instructor core to be able to spread that message throughout the unit and then be that uh, person that walks in the room with the uh, army and be able to talk in depth about capabilities and limitations that the Air Force brings to the fight. Um, and they do it through every mission set. So conventional and soft go together. Um, you'll do conventional missions. Doesn't, doesn't matter where you're from. You're going to do soft missions. Doesn't matter where you're from. Um, you're going to be put through the ringers five and a half months uh, to be able to expertly brief a mission. Uh, and that means briefing capabilities, limitations, briefing the um, mission objectives that you see for this mission, tactical problems that you see, and then the solutions that you're providing, and then being able to do that coordination integration with that air crew to provide contracts and to be able to go out and execute. And then, you're expected eventually to get to the point where you go out into the uh, field to actually execute this mission you just briefed at an expert level. Uh, and that means, um, and people have different views on what expert is. Um, and expert is to me, uh, and the, what I would love to see out of students is, you're not going out there and being flawless. You're going out there and you're doing the job in the worst conditions you could ever do. 
And when you make a mistake, you immediately identify it and you do, you pull all the tools out of your tool bag to mitigate that mistake in order to continue on and have mission success. That is expert to me. Um, and then when you come back, you're debriefing and you're debrief, you're going to debrief, you're going to poke holes in everything you did. You're going to, you're going to poke holes into what the pilots did. Uh, anybody who involved in the mission, you, you are trying to find that root cause uh, because if you fix the root cause, you you fix the problem, uh, and then you're going to you're going to do it on an expert level, uh, and that's what guys do uh, that graduate from there, and that's what they bring back to their units to be able to build that squadron, make them a bunch of subject matter experts that are expert in their field of what they're doing. That, that now I know, but <laughs> it, it, it sounds like, and and this is where I, I, I springboard a little bit talking about the the debriefing and 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 figuring things out. Um, as we move forward from the, the old war to like the new war, it kind of sounds like that's what you're doing for TACP is you're looking at things holistically, poking holes in it, uh, the soft, conventional, whatever, it doesn't really matter, trying to, to move forward the whole thing forward into the future and figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and the best way to get these things done. And so uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, it's a, it's a rough time for everybody. We're all trying to figure out this, this near-peer great power competition, what we're all going to be doing. Uh, where's TACP going with that? Or where would you like to see TACP go with that? Um, so let's talk about great power competition first uh, to set sort of set the battlefield. Um, the great power competition is uh, we're, we're facing an enemy that is uh, in line and in lockstep with the advances that we're making. So they create a problem, right? So General Brown talk, said, let's talk, let's have a conversation on the uncomfortableness uh, and that's uncomfortable to think about, that uh, we're facing an enemy that's in lockstep with us, whether it's technology, uh, military-wise, political, economic, whatever, the DIME, throw the DIME acronym at it, like that's that's who we face. Um, so having that uncomfortable com conversation is like, uh, where is our status of our force? Um, and when I say status of our force, I'm talking about the TACP community. So I need to put that up on the board first. Um, so I'm gonna, uh, I whiteboard everything I do. Um, and first thing I do is I put TACP. What, okay, what is the status of the force for TACP and what are we providing to the warfighter? Um, and if you look at our mission statement and the stuff that we just talked about, um, it is that combat enabler to the army uh, or ground force. It, it could be the Marines or whoever, but we're that combat en enabler uh, for that ground force. Um, so we're kind of one dimensional ish, if you want. Um, but we bring a lot of capabilities to the battlefield that could spread across the spectrum. So, and when you talk about great power competition, you, you think about the areas that we may have problems in. Those are the areas that now I start writing up on the board. So what are, what are the tactical problems that the air force as a whole is seeing and what are they trying to solve? And then I write down the tactical capabilities on board and, and what kind of capabilities do we bring to the fight that can start either mitigating or solving some of these problems. Um, so <clears throat> TACP in, in its nature is a command and control element. Um, that's that liaison piece that we talked about. That's that communication piece, all those things. Um, that's that element of TACP um, that solve problems in the Air Force fight. Um, so leveraging the command and control and, and being a part of the 
the the TAC C2 uh, players for the Air Force can help start solving some of those gaps and problems that we see. And it's just basically transcending transcending our capabilities from one spectrum of war to the other. The way I call it is you you have a war timeline, the Alpha Omega war timeline, and that Alpha Omega war timeline right now, we're sort of in the middle to the Omega. Uh, but our capabilities say that we're just not that. We're actually, we can do Alpha to Omega based on the capabilities we bring to the battlefield. Uh, we see it now. Uh, we have uh, people, I have one of my graduates who's a, who is a patch in uh, Europe, and they're doing that now. Um, so it isn't a thing that we think we can do it. It's, it's something that we know we can do, and we're showing that we can do it, uh, and people are happy. Uh, they they want to see it. Um, I think the problem lies into how do we, how do we, how do we sell it? Uh, how does transitions happen between phases of war? Um, so those are little roadblocks that we have in the way that we need to start thinking about and doing. But it does push to the table of what does the TACP look like in the next five years? So what does TACP, how do we, how does our force design, does it affect it? Does it need to be changed? Um, and that change, how does that change look? Uh, especially when you start talking about like, all of the things that um, that are coming down the pipe um, that we have to change. Um, you know, a lot of people are scared of change. They don't want to change. Um, but change is going to happen because the evolution of career fields, the evolution of the military uh, technology has forced a huge evolution in how we do business uh, throughout all career fields in the military. And uh, we need to take a serious look at that. And how we can apply that and not only, you know, make our community the best fit for the Army, but also how do we make it a good fit for the Air Force and start helping helping dad out solve some problems before we go help mom out. But you're not you're not talking about TACP. I mean, there's still going to be the, the JTAC aspect of it. But with that C2, oh, yeah. um, so we're talking integration of ISR assets. Um, maybe some EW, some space, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, so if you, you look at command and control, like look at what the ASOC does. So the ASOC, which is in the ASOC, is it, it, is, it is the, they take the proportionate from the, the JFAC and they proportion, they take that proportionate and allocation and they, and they get that out to the, the, the maneuvering elements. Um, and it is, you know, they're doing routing and safety of flight. They're providing AO updates. They're providing possible targets that may be coming in early. Uh, so the aircraft is up to speed and ready to go. So taking that aspect of it and that communications line that, that we have and making it more robust to be able to say, you know, this is really no different in doing it for the Army and pushing CAS assets around than it is for the Air Force from pushing counter air assets around. It's just a different employment, a different style. Um, and, and really, we're just extending that link that is right now marginalized because of the thing, because of the enemy. Uh, so we're extending that link. We're doing the um, even if you look at like the, the different things that are happening around the world, whether it's, um, you know, in the Pacific or in Europe or in Africa, um, like the command and control elements is like 
that's the focal point in the belly button of all operations. And to be able to extend that network just enhances your capabilities when it comes to fighting uh, out there, uh, especially when you are you are giving um, possible threats that keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So is this change still in theory or are you guys like, is this the direction you're moving out or are we already there? Um, I, it's a I dangerous think question. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and by no means are we holding you to this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I would say it's more in theory. Um, I would say it's, uh, it's in practice. Um, put it that way. Uh, um, it's our future uh, of, of being able to give back to uh, the Air Force. Um, and I think that's a huge thing. Um, we have a very uncomfortable problem set to have to solve. And this is the way we can get after it um, and, and help out our bros who are doing other jobs um, to make them successful and to make them lethal uh, the way they need to be lethal. Um, but I, I don't think in any way, shape, or form, it takes away from our capabilities that we give the Army. I just think it's a, it's a way that we employ our capabilities differently. Um, and it's just, it's really showing, showing that um, in the different concepts that are out there, the different exercises that are going on, being able to show that and, and to be able to go on. Right now, we got, to, we got our roadmap up for two-letter cords, so, you know, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of, you know, pushback on that, uh, which is awesome because we always, we, we need to hear more feedback in order to get it right. Um, I think, I think we don't want to speed, um, because we need to make it right. So it's a lasting effect and not just a temporary effect. Um, so as things move along, there, there's a lot, a lot of things going on, uh, practices, whether it's in exercises uh, and things like that, to uh, other other stuff that happen happening. I think I think this is important for the people that out there that are listening. Um, the the one of the reasons I think that we bring in the types of people into our career fields that we do is is so that when they have an opportunity, they see an opportunity to do something and move forward the right way. Uh, they're not held back or they don't think that they can't do it. Uh, so I think we find ourselves in this situation a lot where we put things into practice because we have flexibility uh, at the tactical level. Uh, but what everybody doesn't see is that to formalize those processes and then move it forward into the future and, you know, on paper, so to speak, that's, that's kind of where I think uh, I'm not going to say we miss the mark sometimes, but you know, it, it's a hard process to get through after that. And then to make everybody understand, you know, cause like it's, it's easy for us. Like if I see a, a guy at the tactical level, one of my guys doing something, I'm like, that's definitely the way we should do this. And then trying to formalize that process and get it through all the wickets and, you know, all the coordinations, uh, you know, it, it takes time, but our, our people definitely step out there and start practicing, you know, uh, moving forward into the future. I think before the paperwork catches up. Yeah. So, and it's, it's innovation, uh, and that's what our leaders want. They want to see innovation. They want to see us, um, you know, going outside the norm and being able to tackle these problems. Because if we don't do that, we're going to constantly keep slipping and slipping behind. Uh, and these young minds that we got working for us, man, they, they and, and that's, we go back to the weapon school thing, you know, that's one of the big aspects of is going through weapon school and graduating weapon school is you, you're taking, you're, you're graduating 
critically thinking, critically minded individuals to look at a problem and to break it down piece by piece and to give you a solution that is, is going to solve this problem or at least mitigate aspects of the problem to be able to let you be successful in what you're doing. Um, and the more and more young people that we get into these career fields, uh, the more and more critically minded, critically thinking, technology savvy uh, individuals, uh, and they're solving these problems. And, and it really, you know, it's identifying the problem and then either solving or mitigating them. And they're doing it in ways that, you know, it's really, it's funny. If you look at it, we're getting back to the roots of what the TACP was. Um, when you, even when I went through and I graduated, I went to my first unit. I was a, what was called a ROMAD, a radio operator, maintainer, and driver. Like I, I operated all the radios and made sure they were working, made sure they had the fills in it. If not, the JTAC was going to get in my butt, you know, over it and the, all this stuff. So it's really getting back to the basics of doing this job and what this job is, uh, establishing those communication ties between one entity and another. Um, and it, the differences of getting those authorities for the different things that we're wanting to do tied to that. Uh, once that happens, then, um, you know, we're off to the races. Yeah. Well, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I think TACP though is in a unique situation as opposed to like a combat controller SR where you guys, um, as we move forward, it seems like the lines between soft and conventional, um, are kind of need to be blurred a little bit. And like you said, it's working for the Air Force again. Uh, so I think you guys, uh, you, we all kind of look to you guys to like see what's happening on the conventional side. So what needs to happen on the soft side to kind of drive that train so that we, we reopen all those communication networks between the two parties, uh, which I think we lost a little bit uh, during the last 20 years where everybody kind of hunkered down in their foxholes. We do this, you do that. And I think as we move forward towards these new uh, problem sets, uh, you guys are in that unique position where you can see over the fence easily and kind of tell everybody uh, well, what's going on and, and, and identify those problems that, that need to happen on both sides. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I get on my soapbox a little bit. So we created, we created this, uh, we created this little band of brothers called special warfare. Um, with, uh, I, I would say, honestly, with no real purpose in mind other than a title. Um, I think the big thing is as a collective group and a collective voice, we solve a lot of tactical problems the Air Force sees. Um, problem is we haven't come together collectively to uh, speak in one voice to be heard. Um, we all have our own little niche things that we want to do and we're in our little stovepipes um, and we we have a hard time coming together because I think if we come together there it's just it would be amazing of the, some of the things that we could do as a collective voice um, we see a little bit here and there uh, especially in Europe we get teaming with uh, guardian angels and tactics uh, doing this um, doing these concepts over there um we, we're talking about it you know stateside things like that but man if you think about the four areas that special warfare covers and the, and you look at the tactical problems we face man just getting access into places providing that kind of command and control extending that personnel recovery bubble um and then providing that target targeting back for reconnaissance like we're doing it. We just need to come together and do it. Yep. 
I, I was wondering where you're going to go with that because I'm sitting here going like, yeah, come on, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. And, and man, there's a lot of those conversations that, and I, I think there's um, frust, frustration probably at a, at a, a younger level. Um, and while there actually there's frustration at a senior level too, but, uh, <laughs> but those frustrations uh, are definitely there because it's like, Look at all the, the tactical problems that are out there, uh, whether they're tactical, operational, or strategic problems, and you look at the four primary, you know, aspect war career fields, and they all complement each other very, very well. And to be able to integrate those in an environment that that is lacking it, I mean, go in there and crush it. Absolutely crush it. So um, I do, Nasty, I do want to transition a little bit because – uh, we actually haven't had a TACP on in a little while. And so um, we threw up a story on Instagram just to, to, you know, see what kind of questions people had. So I want to kind of rapid fire some questions at you. I've previewed a couple of them, but some more have rolled in since we've been, been talking. So, um, so I'm just going to kind of fire them off. You give a long answer or a short answer, whatever, and I'll just try and get uh, through some of them real quick. So, um, what do you, so with this change in TACPC2, uh, at least with the enlisted side, because just, just like us, you guys are heavy on enlisted, not as many officers. Um, the TACPO is here to stay. It's not going anywhere, right? Like you guys are still bringing in rated officers, but the end goal is to get the all TACPOs, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's to have those TACP officers that will lead the squadrons. Um, personally, I don't ever see the rated, rated pilot to go away because that brings an element to the, the liaison part that uh, we need uh, with the army. Um, so, but I think you're going to see well, you see it now less and less of the rated side and more and more on the uh, TACPO side. Um, because they're going to be the true leaders within the squadron, uh, coming up with the, the guys on the teams and then into those leadership positions. Um, but, um, you know, whether there's a push to get rid of the rated side or keep it, um, personally, I think we need to keep some of those um, because that, that's an aspect that, um, that we bring to the table that nobody else does. Uh, and that's that liaison piece that uh, can be critical at certain points during uh, planning. Okay, cool. Uh, one of the other ones is, what do you think about the the whole swimming aspect being, you know, thrown into the TACP pipeline now? It's not at the same level as, as CCT, SR, and PJ, but, like, I mean, I'm sure you're aware for the folks out there that, like, that is a surprisingly hot topic. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I don't mind it. Um, I'll, if they want me to swim, then I'll swim. I don't, um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think there is, uh, I think there is, there's aspects to being comfortable in the water that people don't understand. And until you are getting conditioned in the water, you don't, um, I've done multiple water jumps, uh, under canopy and, and it can be a very, um, it can be it can be very uh, spiked in adrenaline, very uncomfortable when you hit the water uh, <laughs> trying to get out of that chute. Um, 
the PJs are not fun to do water jumps with because I didn't realize I had to swim to the Zodiac. I, mean, I was used to jumping with first group guys up in Washington who drove the Zodiac to you. Um, so, uh, so I, uh, it, it, it can, I, I think there's a lot of things uh, with that because you got to think of our, a, a, our AORs. Um, we have one AOR that is completely covered in water um, and you could find yourself in the water. Um, so being comfortable with that and being in condition to deal with that uh, could mean the difference between life and death. Um, I don't, you know, we don't necessarily need guys dive qualified, um, but I need dudes who can, you know, if they're in the Pacific, do things in the Pacific without limitations. Um, uh, on the other side, like uh, I was just going to say uh, one last thing to that is on the other side is, um, you know, it, it's a something that sets you apart too so oh absolutely something that sets you apart it's yeah anyway i it's funny i, I just i had a, I saw that question come up and i'm like oh i definitely gotta ask this <laughs> just because it's people don't understand that like it is it is back and forth a lot um yeah so another one no 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 what are some additional schools that you guys get a chance to go to? Uh, not as a, not necessarily as a soft tech P, but as a, a normal kind of tech P like bread and butter tech P. Yeah. Uh, so really, uh, if you're going to go with your army, uh, counterparts, you can go to any school you want. Um, that's the best part about being that liaison, on the army and setting that good impression. Um, you you become this unicorn in the building, uh, so to speak, and uh, they man, you just set yourself apart from them. They'll they'll give you any school out of their own school allocation that you want to go to: Air Assault, Pathfinder, Sapper, uh, Ranger School, um, Airborne, all those. Which Airborne is becoming part of our pipeline now completely. So that that's a different uh, beast there, but. Um, and then if you're at units like the 82nd uh, in Washington, stuff like that, you know, you got free fall chances, stuff like that. So, uh, and then of course, um, I went through a course uh, while I was at Knox, uh, I was at Fort Knox for five years and that's when the army reconnaissance school course was there. Um, and so being able to go to courses like that, that some people don't get the chance to go to, um, because you're stationed in a location where the course is happening, um, really builds upon what your knowledge and your, uh, what you do as an individual. Uh, I learned a lot from that course, and it was awesome uh, going to. Uh, and then, um, really, uh, it, and it's not really just the courses you get to go to like that, but also other courses that the Army holds that, you know, a lot of people aren't familiar with like their driver training courses and their shooting courses and and all those other courses because, like I said, you being attached to that unit, you're you're going out there doing table fires with them. You're doing hanging mortars and pulling lanyards to artillery pieces, things like that. So, um, but yeah, courses wise, like any army course, uh, you in good with your battalion, your brigade, you 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 have the opportunity to go. Yeah, sounds awesome. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous a little bit sometimes, you know. Um, so the, one of the other things we get a lot 
is, uh, you know, people tend to, to overlook the first 18 steps and jump to step 226. So what is the process to become a soft tech P? So, what, is, what does that look like? So uh, for step one is be motivated. Uh, <laughs> be, be, <laughs> be good at what you do. Um, be good at what you do at the ASOS, uh, be learn to follow and then learn to lead, um, be motivated to be knowledgeable, be, be that person that's hungry for every bit of knowledge you can get, um, stay in your physical condition that you need to stay into. Uh, and then, um, when the time comes and that call out comes out, uh, put your package together, follow the instructions on the guideline, put everything together that you're supposed to put together and, and send it in. Uh, to be picked up for that phase two um and then when you go to phase two put out 100 percent. like uh, guys just feel like they're people look good on paper um but that doesn't mean that they're good uh so i'll just put it that way but uh uh you got you got to show up and, and you got to put out uh or you're not you're just wasting your time um so um, Especially the way that that is pretty. We all look good on paper. <laughs> oh, we we are amazing. We, we saved the world three times over. Exactly. War's <laughs> over, guys. You're welcome. Well, I that's well, the the um, usually we try and ask people, uh, especially in in your kind of position, you know, advice that they would give because our demographic is you know sixteen to really twenty five, maybe thirty sometimes. Uh, year olds who are wanting to come into TAGP, CCT, SR, PJ, and the like. So, mm -hmm. um, like, as we kind of wrap this up, what would be your, your kind of parting uh, advice to those folks? Uh, <clears throat> so, one, I think my advice comes into, like, three, uh, two, uh, we'll put it two, two things, All right? Uh, when you when you're young and you learn to ride a bike, two things happen. First thing happens is you build confidence. Um, you get on that bike, you take off your training wheels, you start to ride, and your confidence builds up, and you start riding better and better and better and better, faster, faster, faster. You start doing jumps, you start braking, you start doing all those things. So your confidence is getting high. And then the second thing happens: you have your major wreck. When that major wreck happens, that's cockiness that causes that wreck. So your confidence has turned to cockiness. So what I would give, give as advice is when you're looking at these career fields, you got to be confident in yourself. Um, but as you're going along and you're training and you're doing all these things, don't let that cockiness or that confidence turn into cockiness. Um, so uh, being confident as an individual that you can do anything you put your mind to, you just got to find that you got to find that willpower to put yourself in the positions that you want to be in. And you got to seek out help and advice from people who either been there or people who are also wanting to go that you guys can now start working together because it's that guy to your left and right that are or gal uh, that's motivating you to be better, to be stronger uh, and to push yourself beyond your limits. Um, I think that is and then with that is. Um, as that time goes on, you're going to build confidence. You're going to start seeing your limitations and those things. Um, as you build that confidence, don't fall into pitholes 
of rumors and well i heard this about this and i heard this about that like seek the advice from the people who have the knowledge um and ignore the people who don't who want to talk about everything um because that can always get you uh in bad places because they're going to give you negative feedback there may be some truth to it but there's probably not complete truth or there's a lack of understanding in some of what they're saying so they don't understand the bigger picture um so um <clears throat> I'd say the big and the big takeaway for people who are getting ready to either take the plunge is, you know, have your mind straight, mind health, spiritual health, family health need to be a hundred percent. Get those things right. Get yourself in order, uh, and when you show up, you'll be able to be a rock star and move out. Um, that would be my advice to them. Yeah, I would say that that would uh, that cockiness and stuff would translate to guys and girls that are already on team or at a squadron as well. <laughs> yes, but sometimes yes, it absolutely. takes that. Sometimes it takes that big wreck to just like help <laughs> yep. a little bit of uh, humility. So, well, Nasty, appreciate you yeah, coming absolutely. on, uh, deep diving some of the TACP current TACP and then it's kind of the TACP future, especially the TACP C two stuff. Um, we can all tell that you're on the staff because acronyms are going like crazy. So uh, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> no, no, it's, all, it's all good. I'm sitting here going like, okay, well, I know all those. And then I got to break it down. That's why I try and spell things up. But it's all good, man. Um, so, again, appreciate you joining us. Uh, for everybody else out there, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your support. Uh, don't forget, to, if you're on YouTube, subscribe, like, leave us a comment. If you have more questions for Nasty, throw it in the um throw it in the comments or send us a DM and, and we can ask him uh, specifically, especially about anything he said. So again, thanks for tuning in. See you later.